welcome to the Tone That Made Us podcast. I'm your host, James, and to my right, my co-host and friend of almost 30 years, as we keep trying to figure out, Dan Cav. Dan and I do this podcast because we love gear. We love gear that makes the tone, that makes the music that we love. We love the tone that makes up the soundtrack of our lives. This is why we're doing this podcast, because we wanted an opportunity to talk to a wealth of, uh, of information and, and a whole load of different people to talk about the tone and the gear that they use. Um, and lastly, it relieves our wives, Jess and Lori, from having to hear us talk about utter bullshit about gear every time we get together and that's all dan and i talk about we figure if we get it out of the way now it might get better when we all get together but i, I truly don't think so nope. um today we have a very special guest he's a jazz guitarist born in rio de janeiro brazil he made his way to the u.s studying at berkeley segueing into a career in live sound touring front of house studio engineering and producing. He's toured with the likes of Kid Rock, Casey Musgraves, and has been front of house engineer and chief studio engineer for Cheryl Crow. Grammy nominated and all around awesome dude, Alberto Vaz. Hello. <laughs> Welcome brother. <laughs> Jazz guitarist, maybe. <laughs> Well, it's how you started. It's how you got where you are, sitting there with the red couch, man. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so welcome to the podcast. And I want to start this off the way that we start all of them off, which is we've heard about the first time I saw this particular artist on this particular TV show. It made me want to be a musician. But I want to talk about what's the first time you saw a piece of musical equipment that made you say, I have to play. Uh, I went to a show. I was very young. I don't remember exactly how old I was. Um, it was a, it was this famous venue in Rio. And uh, the, this band was a, they were like a rock ska pop band in Brazil. That's, very famous called Paralamas do Sucesso. And uh, I was a kid. I didn't know anything about this. But as soon as this show started, I mean, it's super loud. And this guy comes out and he's jumping all over the stage with an electric guitar and he's a singer. And he's playing the crap out of that thing. And uh, it was this white Strat. Hmm. Rosewood fretboard, white Strat. And I mean, I was like, what? is this <laughs> you know he, he had a wireless system and he's this is like you know mid 80s or whatever and he's just jumping around the whole stage and i was like yep i want to do that <laughs> great choice turns out i don't do that but <laughs> <laughs> well neither do we anymore yeah but you know what i found out as the years went by i wanted to be the guy who was watching that every night or whatever and and I found my my way into that um, through what I do, through mixing and playing a di just playing a different instrument, really. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's a, it, 
I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a guy who who came into mixing from a technical standpoint. I came in like I just switched instruments. I just went from guitar to something that has faders and <laughs> different pieces of music to put together. That's that's, awesome. that's my take on it really. I don't I I don't ever think about voltages and uh I, I don't know whatever goes on inside the th I, I don't i don't know i don't care i just uh, it's a it's music it's a musical um transducer you know <laughs> it's like right. yeah. I'll, I'll make this into something else all these little bits and pieces i'll put together you know and uh, um well i mean that's the ultimate tone right i mean many guitar players have no idea what they're using they they get guided by guys like you or they count on guys like you to take what sounds good and and you know it right you play a certain guitar through a certain amp if it's solo it sounds oh, yeah. like shit but <laughs> it fits a um yeah tonal piece of a landscape that you put together right i mean that's all it is, you know, is how things interact. Uh, this micro microphone for this acoustic instrument, this microphone for an electric guitar and, you know, matching, making things match, making things work together to create music, you know, to create a third thing, which is the combination of everything into a musical piece that makes sense as music. It's not yeah. about oh, I got this great kick drum sound. Don't care about the rest. Let's, <laughs> like, who cares? If it doesn't make sense, you know, in, in, in the whole picture, it just doesn't make sense. So the mixing and matching tones, and it's like, you know, it's like colors in a painting. Yeah. It's, it's kind of what it is. And it's a great analogy. I, I love it. Is, yeah. I love it. I'm just so obsessed by it um and weirdly not so um well i guess i am a little obsessed with gear but you know i i had the great opportunity to work with uh chad blake who's who's a guy who's crazy about tone that's all he cares about and he is anti-gear completely and the one thing I, I really learned from Chad is anything works. You have to be able to make anything works. And the limitations will uh, force you to be creative, mm. force you to pursue the tone. So that's, um, yeah, that's kind of how I operate. Awesome. That, even though that's I, a great explanation of what you do, man. Even though I have access to a bunch of gear that's really expensive, and <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm obsessed with distressors. So when I saw your picture from the show the other night, I was like, I spy two distressors. I know. <laughs> one day I'll own one. I know, man. Those things are amazing. Yeah, they are. All right, so let let's roll back. So you see the white strat. Let's talk about your first setup how did, how did you get your first guitar what was it how did it how oh. did it feel so you know the, the in brazil is very common that people have uh, 
classical guitars lying around. And that's, um, uh, yeah, it's just normal. You know, people have those. And it's part of our culture. But, um, yeah, oh, so, okay, let's recap. I, as a kid, I used to go watch uh, the orchestra play with my grandfather almost weekly. And I was really obsessed with music and everything, and I decided to play violin. Like, I want to play violin. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I want to do that, you know. Uh, or, um, But so I was kind of like in between, like, oh, do I want to play guitar? Do I want to play? I'm going to play violin because it was sort of okay in the house. Uh, I grew up with my grandparents and my mom and, uh, you know, everybody was kind of had like a classical music uh, background. So I started playing violin and it was boring as can be. <laughs> I regret giving up the violin, but it was boring at the time. Um, so finally I had to go, uh, you know what? I really, I really want to put, play electric guitar. And it was a big commotion in the house. And <laughs> I, I had to promise to, I don't know, take out the trash for the rest of my life. <laughs> Clean up dog poop. I don't know what it was. And I got this Brazilian-made piece of crap Les Paul knockoff that was, oh, so terrible. <laughs> You needed you needed a tuner after after each bend. One bend. Oh, hold on. <laughs> nice. It was it was horrible, horrible. And it was I mean that, that was all So, you know, Brazil, I don't know how much you know about Brazil, but you know, um it was a military dictatorship for so long and you you couldn't get anything. And then it was only years after that you could get imports. Um I mean, you you could, but they were like super expensive so and and because they were super expensive there was no competition so the the guys making anything in brazil were like yeah do whatever (laughs) so it was it was just terrible terrible it was either poor quality or if it was good quality it was super expensive because they can get those prices because it's still cheaper than the imports right so that's what i had and i had a brazilian made amp that did nothing it was just a, <laughs> it was just a little box with a maybe an eight inch speaker in it or something and it was terrible it didn't have overdrive it did, and that was and I, you know you'd listen to the records and be like how do you make how do you, how does this happen <laughs> I mean, why doesn't my guitar sound like that and it, anyway it was an obsession to try to figure all that out. And there was, I mean, this is the eighties. There's no information. Yeah. Especially, you know, you know, late eighties, early nineties, there's, there's nothing, there's no internet. There's uh, maybe a magazine that you can buy for, you know, (laughs) with all your money, you can go buy a magazine every six months and kind of look at things that you'll never see. Right. So it was a lot of, uh, research by talking to people and going to the music store and hanging out and be like, Oh, what's that? What's, how do you get, how did you get to do that? You know, finally I saved money and I bought this used 
Fender amp. <laughs> and it, and you know, if you turn it all the way up, it would distort. It's like, oh, that's that sound. <laughs> Dude, there was nothing. There was no one yeah. to ask. You know, I, I went to a very small school. Um, it was a, a British school. And I was the only person there who played the guitar. It was very small. I had no, I had no friends that I could go. Hey, you know, how do you get that sound? There's right. nothing. So I kind of had to find out on my own. And, and then, you know, then there was another kid that started playing guitar, and he found out some other stuff. And then there was another one, and then we all kind of got together and like, oh, well, shit, that's how you do it. Okay, you know, and we were really into rock bands at that time. And um, I liked Van Halen. The other guy liked. Uh, uh, Megadeth and the other guy like what you know and it, wow. he, it's just it was a bunch of that stuff and there were no videos to be seen you can, I mean it was only yeah. in the 90s that we got MTV oh wow and uh, you know cable wasn't a thing and we, we got MTV, you have to go out and you have to buy this special little antenna because it was like a UHF or something like that. <laughs> and then you start seeing these things. And I was like, oh, look at that. It's Joe Satriani. How's he doing that? Wow. What, get, what guitar is that? You know, and Steve Vai and all this, all this stuff only really showed up. So anyway. Um, it just reminds us uh... – in America, we're spoiled, and we take a lot for granted. Yeah. The, the more <laughs> oh, I absolutely. talk to you guys, the more I talk to friends from South America, friends from remote Europe. Um, you know, it, it's amazing how far behind. But it also forced you to do more with less, which probably put you leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of other people that were blessed with having their hands on. <laughs> really good gear when they didn't deserve it i don't know i don't know about that it's i mean it just um i think it made me be the problem fixer that i am now you know something is fucked up eh, okay i'll figure out how to fix that right and it's kind of how you know uh how i got most of the jobs that I've gotten in this country <laughs> is that I'm like, okay, not a problem to me. I'll just work my ass off and get this thing done. Um, but yeah, uh, you know what? The other, uh, what I didn't say before, the other crazy, crazy thing that I saw that, that actually put me here in Nashville is in 92, uh, Dire Straits was doing the, that tour uh they did their last record i think it's called on every street or something like that right um and they did a they toured that uh album and it, there was like a uh a vhs or something of that show of that mm -hmm. tour um but obviously you couldn't get those in brazil but there was a tv channel out of the maybe five tv channels we had on tv this is like 92 93 guys wow. <laughs> we have five tv channels six maybe um <laughs> i know i know um and one of them just played it one night wow. and 
And I watch this thing, and I'm like, there's a dude sitting behind this wooden box playing this thing that has strings on it with a metal thing in one hand and metal things on the other hand. And this is amazing. What the fuck is this? <laughs> and then, you know, uh, Mark Knopfler introduces the guy. This is Paul Franklin, best pedal steel guitar player in the world. I mean, I, it's right here. I cannot forget this. And I was like, oh, shit. What in the world is a pedal steel? <laughs> <laughs> what is this wizardry? What is this? And, you know, um, many years later, I, it, you know, at, at that point, you start chasing this thing. What is this? What is this? You start asking people. And it's like, oh, well, there's something that they use in country music. Nobody wants to hear that crap. <laughs> and... Paul Franklin is the reason I moved here because I was like, that's so amazing. And I found out that he was a studio musician in Nashville and, and all of that. And, you know, and I started listening to more and more stuff once I moved here and went to college here. And I had a good friend in college who's a great guitar player from uh, North Carolina. And, um, and he was like, oh, check this out. There's this record all these Nashville studio guys, I think it's called the Nashville Cats or something, uh, Mark O'Connor, fiddle player. And we listened to that thing forever. And I was like, you know what? I'm moving to Nashville. <laughs> I, I need I need to work with these guys. That's awesome. That's a great story. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I ended up here because of a freaking pedal steel on a Dire Straits tour. <laughs> and, and Paul's a friend of mine. And we're about to go on the road to get Cheryl's opening for Chris Stapleton and Paul's and Stapleton's um, band. And a, we've, it's an amazing way to come full circle. I know. And we've become good friends. And the only time I've ever had uh, a pedal steel guitar. I, I, play, I play a little bit. Pedal steel. <laughs> which, which, it's right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. It lives here. It's like it's a. Uh, it's homework for me. It makes my, my brain think of music. Um, but the only time I ever had a, a lesson was from Paul before a gig. I was like, hey, show me something so I can practice. And he's like, oh, check this out. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know. <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. That's pretty Got great. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no video. So, yeah, I pulled my pedal steel that was sitting right there. And here it is. I bought it. First time I lived in Nashville, which was right after school. So it was like 21 years ago. I bought this thing and I took it home. I was going back to Brazil and I was like, you know what? I'm not going back without buying a pedal steel guitar. I'm going to buy one. So I went and bought this thing and I taught myself how to play it. <laughs> nice. It's a great and instrument. You, and you brought it back and forth to Brazil? Oh, yeah, I took it with me to Brazil. And then when I came back from Brazil, I brought this thing with me. That's a big-ass case. It's a big case, yeah. But I, I've made a few trips back. <laughs> I love this thing, man. Played on a lot of records down there. Um, yeah. Very cool. So just to, just to kind of bring it back a little again, 
you yep. you talked about how you know accessibility was obviously completely different for you than for a lot of us right especially here uh you know our, our idea of starting on crappy guitars is a little different than places yeah. that don't have as much industry as we would hear uh right. but what would you say what was like the first instrument that you graduated to that you would say was like a real a real instrument a real guitar your first okay good instrument um so when i was in high school my what do you guys call it here uh what's the year before last junior year junior year yes um my grandfather gave me a washburn guitar which was crazy expensive <laughs> i know <laughs> i still have it awesome dude we need pictures it's uh well it's it's in brazil Wait, one day we'll get pictures in a, in a very creative moment <laughs> a few years back i decided to do some custom work to it myself awesome oh it's fucked up but it's, <laughs> but it's great <laughs> you try you decided to pull a little eddie van halen move on it yeah i was like you know, I don't like these six tuners on the same side. I'm just going to cut this thing off and make some holes. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Uh, yeah. And I pulled the pickups out. And then and then when I went to college, I pulled the pickups out of that thing and put it in my college uh, guitar, which I bought right before I moved to Boston. Uh which is an Ibanez uh, Frank Gambale model. Nice. Yeah. Because I saw Frank Gambale my senior year of high school in Rio, and that was mind-blowing. What an amazing dude that guy is, too. I, I got to meet him a couple of years ago because he's one of he, – he has a court signature guitar now. He does, yeah. Acoustic, right? Yeah. Yeah, beautiful guitar. What a nice guy. Yeah, I know. And what a monster. So, yeah. Anyway, so, yes, the Washburn. Um, <laughs> I forget what it is. It's a MG something. Um, had a Floyd Rose on it. Floyd Rose. Oh, my goodness. Mind-blowing <laughs> stuff. You know? <laughs> Look at all these crazy things I can do with it. Oh, I get it. That's how they do it. Right, being a Van Halen fan, that's like a revelation and a half. I know. Dude, I had this Les Paul thing that I couldn't keep in tune. And then you go from that to something that's actually well built with a Floyd Rose and a you know, locking nut and all that stuff. Oh, well crap. That's how they do it. Okay, great. Um and you know, and then I started finding out about pickups and different strings dude i didn't even know guitar tuners existed i went to my grandmother's piano and tuned it from the you know oh, to, the, to awesome. the piano i couldn't afford a guitar tuner yeah. um i used yeah. the the telephone yeah <laughs> yeah it was our our dial tone that's what i i would literally tune to a dial tone i didn't have dial a tone's 440 man whenever yeah. in doubt i know well not anymore. <laughs> who has a who has a telephone? Good point. <laughs> Everything's so easy these days, I guess. 
Um, I'm sure you could go to YouTube and say uh, 440 and <laughs> it would just go a, for an what? hour. Why don't we go to YouTube? I say it to Siri. Yeah. Hey, hey Siri. Siri. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Oh, that was great. <laughs> so um let's talk about let's talk about your, your journey to Berkeley. Okay. So at that point you got yourself a Frank Gambale and you're studying jazz guitar at Berkeley. Okay. That's a long yeah. way from playing a shitty Les Paul knockoff in Rio. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh yeah. <laughs> so this is and, and i forgot to say this but um so we we had the classical guitar lying around the house when i was a kid and all the strings were broken except for the g string and the b string and so the uh, one that stays out of tune constantly yeah and and the one that very rarely gets used. well and it's a classical guitar it's always out of tune uh, <laughs> so <laughs> So I don't know how I figured out how to tune those two strings in some something out of my head. I just like, yeah, I'm just going to tune it like this. And I played that thing for months with two strings on it, just trying to play scales. And it's like, oh, look at that. I can make little two note things. I didn't even know what a chord was, you know, like, oh, I can play these little two note things and. You know, and I'd, I'd listen to a record and try to play along and be like, "What? why doesn't this work? <laughs> nice. So anyway, um, that's how I started. And, and, and then how I got my uh, – and then from after playing that for months, uh, my mom was like, all right, um, you, you can go buy a full set of strings. <laughs> <laughs> So I went and bought a full set of strings for a classical guitar. Bad idea. It takes forever for those things to stabilize. Oh yeah. But you know, it was that for a long time and then and then the Les Paul knockoff. Uh and then the um the dive bombing washburn. The the washburn, yeah. It's very nice. It's like a uh what is that thing called? It's like a flame maple. No, like a tiger maple. Yeah. yeah sort of thing. Nice. It's it's very pretty actually. Uh I don't even know if it's it wasn't the the best. It was cheap, you know. At that point it was very expensive. But it was the it greatest was, thing you ever got your hands on. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> it had it had gold hardware that is completely gone because we live in Rio and it's you know, uh close to the beach. And it just corroded the whole thing. It's gone. Anyway. Awesome. Uh, so all of that, I finished high school. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm probably going to suck at music. And I'm just going to go and go to college. So I, you know, got accepted into architecture school. Uh, first, I wanted to join, like, the military and then I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe I won't do that. Uh, <laughs> thought. Well, it was, it was, you had to study a lot to get into those, uh, school. There's like military schools. Mm -hmm. 
so you can you l do like officer career or whatever and uh this has nothing to do with music or tone but i you know I'll it's your journey it's, yeah it's part it's of your story it's part of the journey and i was like you know what i don't want to i want to be great at math and chemistry and all that stuff screw that i want to play guitar so i was like you know what i want to play guitar i you know told told my my family they're all like oh crap <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was like the the weirdest thing, you know. You How have do you to say do... "oh shit" in Portuguese. Uh, you'd probably say like "puta que pariu," which means <laughs> my wife isn't close. <laughs> <laughs> which means uh, the the whore that gave birth to you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. So, so your your family was dis. I was my my own mother saying that, but <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. But it's something people say, and um, so you know, I told them, and it was like, oh crap! All right, well, but you 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 have to study. You have to go to college. Okay, sure. And then you know, when it came to going to college, I was like, oh, yeah, I just. I'm just going to do architecture. It's creative. You know, I like drawing. Right. Um, I had learned a lot of it watching my grandfather. He was he was an engineer. So, he, you know, like the whole – he would just sit at his desk and make blueprints. And I, I probably learned how to do, like, uh, transfers and all the yeah. signs and the – all. I learned all that probably when I was eight. I was like, ah, you know what? I got this. I'm going to do architecture. And I was bored out of my mind because I think the first two years is like just everything I learned when I was eight. Because <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather did not have a really good ability with kids. So his form of entertainment was through teaching. So it was like, oh, this is how you, hey, let's draw this room. Check this out. Right. And I mean, I love my grandfather. He was, you know, my dad, really. And it's like, oh. So see those doors, well, they're this many uh, centimeters away from that wall. So, you, <laughs> but then on this ruler, so many centimeters are this, and it's like, oh, well, shit, okay. <laughs> so That's I an awesome a, life skill to learn at eight. I I know. My son's running around playing his Nintendo Switch all day. I wish I could get him. Well, a, guess what? We didn't have those. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I I told I've told this to a bunch of kids. You know, the time you guys spend on video games. Well, I couldn't do that. I didn't have it. So I got an electric guitar and learned to play the shit out of it. <laughs> it's yeah. actually one of the things that's challenging our industry the most is disposable income compared to what, you know, back when we were kids, we were like, I want to play guitars. I want to be in a band. I want to meet chicks. Excuse me, that's not PC, whatever. It's what we were thinking as 15-year-old oh, yeah. boys. It's, oh, yeah, right? it's the truth. And it's the, the funny thing is, Dan and I get into hardcore and punk rock where there are no chicks. So it was None. like the and stupidest yeah. thing to do. Um, but we, we, it was a vehicle to a lifestyle, to a family outside our family, to a brotherhood that we found, right? Right. These days, kids are getting that by befriending other kids online who are experts at video games, and it's their own thing. So I have to kind of respect that, but I, oh, I yeah. just wish my son would 
zero in. <laughs> well, he made drums this year for his uh, elementary school, so hopefully he, he starts to get uh, – my goal is to have him walking around 24 hours a day with a pair of drumsticks in his back pocket. If, I, if we That's get a- that done, I'm great. That and a That's rush all- shirt, then we'd be happy. So he's if, but he's a drummer. I thought you said he was a musician. But oh, <laughs> insert rim shot. Ooh. Very nice. Ooh. All right, so, for Ty. So when you decided to, um, you decided you were not going to go to architectural school. Well, I, I did. I, I started the program. I was bored out of my mind, and then I came home one day. I was like, I can't do this. Three months in, I was like fuck this i can't do this it's boring as hell i can't and you know what i still love it i'm i actually have this passion for architecture but i just i just don't want to don't want to do it you know um i want to go to music school so you know i i decided to go to music school in brazil i auditioned for this program and got in the whole thing um and then they had to cancel the whole year of the music program at this university in Rio because there weren't enough students. Oh, wow. Which should have been a good clue that it's <laughs> just not going well for you guys. <laughs> anyway, when that happened, I was like, all right, well, I want to go to Berkeley. Okay, well, let's, let's figure this out. So we look at the numbers. It's like, oh, that's impossible. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm going to try, I'm going to apply. I'm going to try to do the, uh, audition tape at mm-hmm. that point, 1995, you had to record a little cassette and put it in an envelope and send it to Nail the U S <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, <laughs> months before you hear back from them. You know, it, it would take like two weeks for them to receive something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this guitar, this this guitar instructor instructor that I had, uh, he he had a little studio at his house, and it was a, I think he had an ADAT and digital performer. Oh wow! So That's he advanced had, for ninety five. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So he helped me put together the audition tape. You know, he programmed some little loops or something and and then uh, played some keys and I played some different guitar stuff, you know, different styles. I played like a bossa nova thing and then, um, I don't know, something that was kind of influenced by Frank Gabali and so, something else. You know, like a rock tune. And I guess they liked it. They gave me a scholarship, and off I went to Berkeley. That's so great. And you know wow. the best part about that? Every time I've talked to you about your guitar playing, you always so downplay your skill. <laughs> and I still have not seen you play. But the fact that you got, I mean, it's it wasn't just like an equal opportunity, you know, like international student scholarship. <laughs> You gotta be freaking great to get a full ride to go to Berkeley. Good for you, man. That's awesome. I, I think I got them with the bossa nova. <laughs> it's in your blood. It must have been the bossa nova. 
It must have been. It's just a, you know, it's just natural to my people. <laughs> you know what? Uh, for as long as I've worked with Cheryl, I've, you know, I've been around that camp for eight years. It was only two years ago that they learned that I could play the guitar. Wow. Totally by accident because one of the guitar techs had heard me play some sometimes somewhere. And he's like, oh, dude, play, play that sweet picking thing you do. And I was like, uh, after a rehearsal or whatever, he's like, I want to see that thing. I was like, okay, check this out. And then, you know, I'm just playing like minor arpeggios or some stupid thing. And Cheryl's guitar player, oddly freed, comes in and he's like, man, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> And then it became a thing, and then they started asking. You know, the same thing that happened at Berkeley was I wanted to learn to play jazz. I went there, and I was like, you know what? This rock thing, I've been playing it since I was 10. Uh, I, I can kind of figure this thing out. The jazz thing, not so much. I want to learn this. And um, this guitar instructor I had in, in Brazil had shown me a bunch of uh, cassettes of you know, Pat Metheny and uh, uh, John Schofield and um, uh, who else? Oh, Frank Cabali. And, you know, I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. And uh, I want to learn to play this stuff. And so, I, you know, here, here I go to college to learn to play this stuff. Well, I get there. They're like, hey, uh, can you play that bass other thing you do? Can you play that sweet and it was all like all the classes all with the ensemble things. I, we ended up like, okay, I'm, I guess I'm going to play the damn Joe Beam tune again. <laughs> and it, it was terrible. That's like me and Dan when we're in the movies. It's like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to play the mobster again. <laughs> I really want to be considered a serious actor. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was fun. And, you know, um, I was very not happy with the guitar department. Really? For for me. Yeah. It was very competitive. Mm. And I mostly, you know, between the students. Um, right. Were some great teachers. I, uh, you know, I, I had I had great opportunities with some amazing instructors there. But um yeah, I just didn't. Li I just didn't like the vibe, you know. It's like everybody's trying to be better than each other. It's like, dude, this is not the freaking Olympics here. It's well, it's a <laughs> hot shot environment. It's yeah. definitely a hot shot environment. So let's just talk about Boston, nineteen ninety five, nineteen ninety six. At that point, sorry, I I got there in ninety seven. Okay, so so it was a little process till I got you know I graduated. A school year in Brazil ends in December. So I graduated in 95. I did my architecture, Brazilian music college in 96, and then ended up at Berkeley August uh, 97. Okay, so you're in Boston in 97. Yeah. First time you get a chance to walk into a major music store and yeah. see. I mean, did you, did you like 
go to the guitar center right down there or the daddy's junkie music which yeah was across the street yeah yeah, right yeah. across the street oh right? yeah oh yeah dude and uh, you walk in and you're like holy crap this is what my dreams yeah. have been or yeah it yeah and it was like well i still can't afford any of this <laughs> dude i was i was just broke all the time you know we had uh, i had enough to afford living expenses and school was you know just about free um there's always things here and there you have to pay but uh but yeah living expenses and food and stuff and you know i had my little ibanez and had an ibanez two cables <laughs> a what what else did i have i think i had like a turbo rat or something right that would make sense and that was it no amp no you couldn't only afford- use the amps at the school yep couldn't afford one um yeah good thing uh, it was a semi hollow actually what? it was a hollow body right no, the 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 Gambali one is like the the little thin one. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking that you had a jazz box there. No, 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 no. I had the the Frank Gambali with the, you know, with the it had a uh, Floyd Rose on it. That yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. You're not getting a lot a lot of acoustics out of that thing. No, but you know what? It was great because you're not allowed to play in your room. Because can you imagine the, <laughs> what the dorms would sound like if you play in your room? But you know what? Electric guitar, you can't hear it if you're just playing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got to practice in the room while my roommates were doing whatever they did. Um, yeah, it was weird. You know, people had lives. And I, I was like, well, I can't afford any of this, these things. And uh, and, and for, you know what's, what was totally bizarre was that um, – I was 19 when I came here. I'd probably been drinking in Brazil since I was 16. Mm. Oh, yeah. And then you get here and it's like, well, you know, and obviously the drinking age there is like 18, sort of. <laughs> if, you're, if you can reach over the counter, they'll probably serve you a beer. Uh, and then you get here and it's like, wait, what? Can't have a beer? What? <laughs> what happened? So, well, I guess I'll just stay in my room and play some guitar. Practice. And that's kind of what I did for uh, all those years, you know. And then, and then, you know, got a job at this at uh, uh, the school in the studios there, and and then things changed a little. But yeah. All right. So then you segue into. I mean, at that point, you're segueing into becoming an engineer. Um. At that point, you know, I had this whole idea of recording because we had done that little demo tape. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. You know, I was really fascinated by it. And as a kid, I I had experimented a bunch with my grandfather's gear. He had like a reel-to-reel uh, tape uh, recorder playback thing, and he had some different cassette decks. And he'd help me make cables to connect one thing to the other so I could play guitar on one side and, and solo on the other. And, and then I bought like this cheap, horrible little 
mixer. It was like four inputs and two outputs or something, and then or whatever it was. And I I figured out how to <laughs> I figured out how to do my different recording so I could because I didn't have any play uh, friends to play with, you know, or I, right. you can't go to uh, YouTube and have a backing track. Right. Yeah. So I had to play the chords and learn to solo over stuff. Anyway, that's uh, awesome. And, and and my grandfather was way into uh, uh, audio. You know, he loved listening to records, and he spent money on audio gear. Um, that that all goes back to kind of the earlier conversation that we had about being like the mechanic, right? Being the I'll figure out how to make this work. When yeah. you're given, I, I remember I was given a four track recorder. It was an older, large Fostex. When I yep. say large, I mean it was like the size of a mixer. Right. And it was um, it was working very slow. Because it was a, t it was a, it was like a rubber band driven, oh um, yeah, you know, recorder, and eventually the rubber band was, it was so, um, it was so corroded and and rotten that it just snapped, and I was like, oh fuck, what do I do? So I actually went out and found every single rubber band I could find, different lengths, different tensions. And then I realized, oh shit, this is too fast now. And I had to stretch out the rubber bands and put them back on until I got it to work fine. But at that point, I was, you know, I was doing tracks. I was bouncing them onto a tape recorder, bouncing them back. I was doing like eight channel recordings on this crappy little free, you know, Fostex, which probably at the time, you know, 10 years earlier was probably state of the art. Um, but you learn how to make do with with um you know what you've got and, yeah. and sometimes you and i actually were talking a couple of weeks ago when we were together i said i think the best recording i ever did was on an old roland vs 840 <laughs> with the zip drive at the one yeah. i bought in the parking lot of your uh, toto store <laughs> the same one actually not the same unit you had one and i had one um, but that was the beginning of me being a bad influence on you. True, true story. <laughs> he wouldn't buy it in the store from the guy, so I bought it from the guy in the parking lot. In the lot. parking lot. <laughs> there was right. a lot of that. All right. <laughs> there was a lot of that. Um, but yeah, so that's that's pretty awesome. So you had an ear for – well, at that time, it was learning. It was functional, right? Oh, yeah. I so, mean – Let's get... My obsession with it was just recording myself, you know, just to have someone to play along with. Right. And <laughs> that, that's all it was. Um, and then when, when I got to Berkeley, I remember first day in college and, you know, getting the tours and seeing everything. And we walked by the studios. There's, you know, well, everything's changed now. I, uh, but, you know, you'd walk into the the front uh big the 150 mass ave building and you walk down the stairs and there's this front desk and if you went to the right there were the synthesis studios or classrooms in the right and the first door to the left was studio l3 and it had a shit ton of gear in there and an ssl desk 
nice. which which to me at that point was fucking huge it was the millennium falcon oh dude and i looked at that thing and i was like oh i i need to know what that does and how it does all the things it does and <laughs> and uh well, it turns out it was a little baby SSL that's like 32 inputs, <laughs> which is tiny. But <laughs> and I was just obsessed with it. So I was like, oh, yeah, I want to do this music production engineering course. Nice. Screw this guitar thing. I mean, I've gotten this far with it. I mean, I've, I'll learn that jazz thing some other time. <laughs> so I draw, you know, uh, after hanging out with the guitar in the guitar department and all that stuff and had a little bad experience in one of my ensemble classes day one bad teacher you know and this nonsense uh i was like you know what i'll do this thing i'm gonna do this recording thing i think it's a lot nicer than those people and that was that <laughs> awesome so what was the so let's fast forward a little Otherwise, this will be a three-hour podcast, uh, which <laughs> wouldn't be all that bad. Maybe we'll just make it a two-parter. Um, so you're, you're working in studios at that point. Now, at some point, you've got to go back to Brazil. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was the, probably the hardest day uh, of my life was when my student visa expired. I was working at a studio in Nashville called The Sound Kitchen, uh, which was very busy at that time. This is like 2000, 2001. Um, and yeah, it's like, well, there's no way to stay. You have to go back. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go back. And I, I went back and, you know, couldn't find a job for months. I got this opportunity at this little studio and just pretty much started from there with a o2r desk and nice. a pro tools le rig uh 001 nice yeah pro tools 001 with a yeah. did you say with a yamaha or yamaha o2r o2r yeah pro tools 001 and one lexicon pcm 70 which is a great piece by the way so um, with the experience that you had in Nashville. Well, my most of my experience in Nashville was patching, uh, making coffee, I was saying answering coffee. phones. <laughs> Man, I was really good at cleaning bathrooms. <laughs> that Berkeley uh, training. That Berkeley training was, I mean, and you know what? I, I appreciate every moment I had uh, in that studio and just – learning all that stuff you know it's uh it's something that's getting lost these days Absolutely. i gotta say it yeah, gotta sure. say it these you know people just get whatever they want online or whatever free software or you know buy something that's cheap and they watch some videos and go and, you know, the, the whole apprenticeship and looking up to the guys who were actually doing this stuff is just uh, gone, really. Well, the other thing that's gone with that is the opportunities, right? I mean, 
you going through everything you did led to you going back to Brazil, being probably at that point a hotshot engineer in Brazil. No, 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 no. I was, uh, well, I tried. There, there are a few big studios in Brazil still to this day. And when I went back, I tried to get an assistant job at, you know, all these studios and nobody would hire me. And, you know, the one studio where I really wanted to work at is this producer, really famous. He produced that band I told you about, that record, you know, the guy with the white strat. He produced that record. Man, I want to work for that guy. And he, he did all the big hits in the 80s and the 90s. And I went to that studio and his uh, chief engineer um, interviewed me and didn't hire me, you oh. know. And I was like, wow. And I was really bummed, you know, because I couldn't get an assistant job. It's like, man, I was an assistant at a really big studio in Nashville, huge studio. It was the biggest studio in Nashville at the time. And I can't get an assistant job here. And many years later, that guy, this is, I mean, that my life is full of these stories. That producer guy, he's, you know, a really good friend of mine now. And, you know, after we met and, worked together and did a bunch of stuff he finally told me he's like man i know why that guy didn't hire you i never i never saw your resume i never heard about you you know if i had seen that i would i would have hired you on the spot because i mean just the background you know music guy plays all these instruments engineer worked in nashville i would have hired you he was just too scared he thought this guy was going to come in and take his job so I I never saw that resume. He was threatened. And I and I was like, dude, I just I just wanted to come over, make some coffee, answer the phones, you know, set up a session, roll some Pro Tools, learn some stuff from him. Nothing. So I I just had to create my own career. You know, and adapt awesome. uh, my what my sound was to what the brazil thing was and that was the hardest thing to learn was to forget everything that i ever wanted it to sound like because i had a very clear idea of what i wanted it to sound like from the beginning and kind of accommodate what the brazilian market is like and i just created my career there Thank you for joining us for part one of our talk with Alberto Vaz. Please tune in for episode two for the rest of Alberto's story.